Hello, everybody. My name is Dave, and I pastor Great Lakes Church in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, I have been friends with Pastor Brent and Kylie now for several years. I serve on your board. I've actually been to the Tri-Cities area on several occasions, and every time it just happens to be in the summer, which you can appreciate the fact that when I'm there, I always feel like I'm a human being that's been stuffed into an oven. It is so, so hot. Uh, Last time I was there, I was bailing Pastor Brent out of jail. That's another story for another time. But uh, I'm glad to be with you on a drama-free weekend. And I know that your state has been locked down more than Fort Knox. You've had every challenge thrown your way. You're still not meeting in person. And I want to just say I'm so proud of the way you're moving the mission forward and how you're serving your community and loving your community. Uh, But as I mentioned a moment ago, I am coming to you from Wisconsin, which this might be news to you. It is the vacation capital of the world. Right here, Kenosha. Find it on a map. And I'm hanging out with my friends. When you hear the noise, like, who are those people? I'm hanging out with my friends at Great Lakes Church. Ah, love it. Now, I'm guessing that almost every one of us have heard the term earworm before. An earworm is a song that just gets stuck in your head, right? It's this catchy beat, and you listen to it a couple of times, and boom, you can, like, become obsessed with it if you're not careful. And this past week, I was thinking, it would be really annoying to make a mixtape, if you want to use an old-school word, or to make a playlist of just earworm songs, just song after song after song. That would just be annoying as heck, right? And, and so I was thinking, if we did that, what songs would be on there? And of course, one of the songs that would be on there is a song that came out about 20 years ago that really made a powerful statement. And the statement was this, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, life in plastic, it's fantastic. If you've never heard that song, go to YouTube and get it in your system now. Well, of course, another song that came out around the same time period uh, was a song that asked a very profound question. Who let the dogs out? And the answer was, you know, it's just like, what, what? But that is an earworm song, right? And then, of course, uh, if you grew up in the 70s, of course, the truth is you could have grown up in any generation. There was an anthem song that was made popular by Queen, and it made the statement, you got mud on your face, you big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, singing, we will, we will rock you. Such a loving and humble song. (laughs) But it's it's an earworm song. You hear that a couple times and you just, throughout the day, we will, we will rock you, rock you, right? We just totally get into it. Uh, Beatles had a song. We all live in a yellow submarine. A yellow submarine, a yellow submarine. Okay, enough, enough, enough. We don't need to get that. All right, but that is an earworm song. Uh, Lady Gaga. Ra, ra, ah, 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 ah. Roma, Roma. Gaga, ooh, la, la. Uh, Who writes these lyrics? This is the most disturbing stuff, but that could get into your head. And then, of course, Megan Trainers. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, about that bass. No trouble. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to start asking this crew to just quote scripture back to me. They know the songs, right? But scripture. Uh, so here's the deal, guys. Uh, there's all these songs, and it could be good songs, but when they get stuck in your head, they just become annoying. And the reason I bring this up is because from the moment we are born until the moment we die, there is a message that is 
played into our minds and into our hearts over and over and over that we may not even realize is being played. It is a message of fear. It doesn't matter what radio station you listen to. It doesn't matter what news channel you watch. It doesn't matter what internet sites you go to, what magazines or newspapers you may subscribe to, you know, if you're old school like that. The message that's conveyed over and over in our culture is always the same. You need to be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. And so I want to kick off today by just saying something that I hope is very clear to all of us. Fear is actually a good thing in moderation. Fear is a good thing in moderation, right? It keeps us safe. It elevates our sense of awareness. It helps us prepare for dangerous situations. You don't want to be completely fearless. That would lead you into some really bad situations, which is why King Solomon of Israel writes that a prudent person foresees danger. A prudent person is a wise person. They foresee danger and they take precautions. They say there's orange cones over that area. I'm not going to just plow through into that, right? The simpleton, the foolish person goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So again, fear is a good thing in moderation, but I'm guessing most of us can agree that in our culture, fear is not done in moderation. Fear is done in excess. And so we're afraid of almost everything. And and it starts when we're little little because our parents, and they're well-meaning, there's nothing wrong with the things they teach us, but they just teach us to to be cautious about everything. Don't go outside when it's raining because you could get hit by lightning, right? Don't uh, talk to strangers. They might kidnap you, right? Don't, don't, uh, Don't eat your Halloween candy without first looking carefully through it because why? Yeah, there could be a razor blade. There could be pins and needles. Uh, Don't go swimming if you've eaten within 30 minutes because you could grab up and die. Right? This is what we're told. And then what happens is we get older and our, our fears that we have as childhood may go away, but then we adopt other fears. And naturally, because we have a culture of fear, Uh, we find a way to prey on each other's fears. And so politicians, they'll use fear to try to scare you from voting for their opponent. Authors, they use fear to sell books. Movie producers, they use fear to sell tickets. Advertisers use fear to get you to buy something. Even religion uses fear, and often they use fear to get you to put your faith in God. Right now, some of you are not going to relate to this, and that's totally understandable. But when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, there was a series of movies that had come out. The movies actually came out in the 70s, but the church I was a part of, they actually played these series of movies on uh, Sunday nights for like three weeks in a row, all right? And uh, the movies were about end times, that Jesus could return to planet Earth at any moment, and if you're misbehaving, if you're not living a certain way, if you've not received Christ in your life, you are screwed, now, let me tell you, you're an adult. You can hear these messages. You can probably, as a kid, you're just like, oh, I want to give my life to Jesus. One of the movies was called Thief in the Night. You, you need to Google the trailer. Just go to YouTube, look, Thief in the Night trailer. <laughs> Woo. And uh, there's no place to hide. It's a little subline. I, I looked it up. This movie costs $68,000 to produce. So low budget film. And the irony is I'm confident collectively across the country, parents spent way more than that buying new mattresses for all their kids that wet the bed after watching what would happen if they didn't give their life to Jesus. And it never stops. The FDA, just this week, they came out with an updated list of more than 100 hand sanitizers to avoid purchasing. 
Many of them, they're toxic when they're absorbed through your skin and deadly if consumed. So make sure you use hand sanitizer. Just carry the list of 100 plus hand sanitizers that you should not be buying. So fear has always been and will continue to be a big part of our culture. Now what's interesting is when I was a kid, I thought adults were immune to fear. I really did. I thought once you become a big person, once you become an adult, like you're able to handle life. And I wish someone would have told me that fear is never going away. I wish someone would have told me that fear is always going to be a part of life. And the reason I say that is I have spent years of my life, as I look back, years of my life thinking something was wrong with me, thinking my faith was broken at some level because even as an adult, I had anxiety and fear over so many different things. And what I've discovered is this, after you become an adult, even if you're a big person, even if you're a strong person, even if you love God, fear is always going to be part of the landscape of life. And it's never going away. Fear of rejection, fear of disappointment, fear of losing out, fear of looking stupid, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of failure, fear of uncertainty. They're all types of fears that you and I are susceptible as human beings, where we're susceptible to as human beings. It's just part of being human. Now, let me talk to you about a tension that I have with this. The tension is that the number one command that we come across in the different books and letters and writings that make up our scriptures, way more than the command to don't kill and don't steal, and don't come within six feet of another human being, is the command to don't be afraid. That's the tension. I can't help fear. It's an emotion. But 366 times in our Bible, we come across the instructions to don't be afraid or to fear not. But I want to be clear that that command to don't be afraid isn't about walking with a fearless attitude at all times. It's more about uh, walking in life with an attitude of confronting your fears, being courageous in the midst of fear. And so I want to talk about this. Courage is not the opposite of fear, and courage is not the absence of fear. Courage, when you just break it down, is the willingness to act in spite of fear. Courage is the choice to walk into the unknown and to face the uncertainty. Courage is a decision to walk into what's uncomfortable. And I wish I would have known this 11 years ago when I started Great Lakes Church because I can't tell you how much of a failure I felt as a follower of Jesus because I was just afraid. Because I just thought, man, I have this vision, this restlessness inside of me. I genuinely believed that God had wanted me to start Great Lakes Church. But it wasn't like I was just walking around to everybody with all this great faith and a smile on my face all the time and giving bear hugs to strangers in Starbucks. I'm starting a church. Hey, kids, high five, right? I'm starting a church. God is good. No, I had some excitement, but I'll tell you way more than excitement. I had fear. And I know this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but I promise you it's not. I would lay in bed at night. I'm talking night after night for months. And I'd say, God, I'm begging you, kill me. Please kill me. I can't stand the stress. I can't stand the, the challenge in front of me. I'm scared on my mind. Please, Lord, take my life. 
It's the same prayer I pray every time my kids make me listen to their music. But it's just like, God, I can't do this. And I thought something was broken about my faith. But what I've learned is there's always going to be fear, so you just need to have courage. And courage can have a payoff. In fact, a single act of courage can actually become a tipping point for something extraordinary. Your act of courage, your willingness to walk into your fear can absolutely have a payoff that you never saw coming. And we see it evidenced in story after story all throughout the scriptures, right? We, we read about uh, Abraham. He felt a restlessness in his heart. He felt like God was asking him to leave the comfort of everything he knew in his homeland and to go to an area of the world that he was not familiar with. And it was his willingness to be courageous and leave that ended up becoming uh, the starting point and the birthplace for the nation of Israel. And then we read about a fugitive named Moses. And he returns to Egypt where he had fled. And now he returns and he faces and confronts the leader of the country. He confronts Pharaoh. And it's his willingness to be courageous that becomes the tipping point for the Jewish people being able to escape and, and, and find freedom after hundreds of years of being slaves. And then we read the story of David and how he faces Goliath, this giant of a man who is a threat to the nation of Israel. And it was David's courage that builds confidence in his fellow citizens and eventually leads to him becoming king. And we read about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And we read about them having courage to hold on to their faith in a culture that mocked God. And it led to incredible influence among the political leaders of the day. And we could just go story after story after story. All throughout the scriptures where we see courage being evidence. And in almost every case, it's a tipping point for something extraordinary. And so, of course, the temptation for me is to just look at all of you and say, we're going to look at these stories. And I'm going to point to the men and these women of courage. And I'm going to say, be like them. The problem is you're not a king. The problem is there aren't nine-foot giants walking around our land. The problem is you're not going to move to some remote part of the world, and it's going to be the starting place of a nation. You're not going to stand before Pharaoh or some other world leader anytime soon. And so all of this just feels like a disconnect. And the problem is when we read stories in the Bible sometimes, or we read stories in books just from history, or we watch movies of some people who are just super, super crazy. It always feels big and it feels dramatic. And we're like, dude, I admire that, but here's the deal. I'm not Rosa Parks and I'm not Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm not Abraham Lincoln and I'm not Mother Teresa. But that does not diminish the fact that when you and I walk into our fears, it has the potential to become a tipping point for something extraordinary. And so with the rest of the time we have together, what I want to do is look briefly at three different ways you and I can walk into our fears. Now, there's a lot of different fears we can talk about. I just want to talk about three. The first one is this, having the courage to stay when it would be easier to leave. See, sometimes it's very scary to stay in the situation we're in, and it's way easier to leave. Because we're in a marriage that just feels like it's going nowhere, and it just feels like, dude, am I wasting years of my life? Or a career? Do I just stick with this career? I feel like I'm just, you know, just letting time go by. This friendship, I, I, I don't know where this is going. And, and fear and uncertainty put a lot of pressure on us to just walk away and, 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 and leave it behind. And yet there are times where in our heart, we're like, man, everything in me wants to walk away, but I feel like I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's God. I feel like I need to stay. And if I stay, potentially there could be a payoff. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus... 
you need to hear this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to hear this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is especially important to hear, and it's especially true for us in regards to having the pressure to leave when it's, uh, uh, or having the, the, the pressure to leave when, um, when, when we just don't want to hold on anymore, and yet the payoff would be if we stay. Because we live in a culture, you know this, and this isn't a boo on culture thing, but we live in a culture that constantly opposes the work that God's trying to do in our life. Love your enemies. That doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Pray for those who hurt you. That doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Forgive those who wrong you. There's not a lot of ways you can connect the dots on that making sense. Treat every person you meet with dignity and with worth because they're made in the image of God. Live life open-handed. Live life generously. Here's the deal. As the Holy Spirit of God chisels away at our hearts and our thoughts and our beliefs, it's going to become more and more obvious to everyone around us that there is something unique and different about us. And not everybody is going to like who we're becoming. Not everybody's going to agree with it. Some will mock you. Some will say, it just feels ridiculous that you would live life like that, that open-handed. It seems ridiculous that you would stay committed to that journey of forgiving that person when I know what they did to you. It seems ridiculous that you would stay in that marriage when it just feels like it's going nowhere. I would be bored out of my mind if I was married to the person you're married to. Guys, in the first century... Followers of Jesus face persecution, genuine persecution all the time because of their faith. And on one occasion, two of the disciples of Jesus, Peter and John, uh, they were arrested and they were thrown into prison because they were being open about following Jesus and they were talking about their faith. And uh, while they're in prison, they're facing potential death because this is what happened in the first century. You talked about Jesus too much. You, you were killed. Well, there was a trial that took place. It was a brief trial, and, and thankfully, they, uh, Peter and John were freed. But when they were free, they were given clear instructions, do not talk about Jesus anymore, and do not talk about the resurrection. Now, Peter and John's attitude was, oh, we're going to obey God rather than humans. But after they're freed, the friends and family of Peter and John, the, the followers of Jesus who lived in the area that had built relationships with them, they heard about what had happened and they learned of the verdict. They heard that Peter and John were let go. And here's how they responded. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed. Now I would pray too. And I'd pray, God, protect me, watch over me, guard me. Give me shin guards and knee pads and helmet. Lord, just keep me safe, 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 safe. God, I pray that you would bless us financially so we can buy a fleet of black tricked out Escalades and that we can hire a security team to watch over us, get them earpieces. Lord, just protect us. Keep us safe. That's not how they prayed. Their prayer starts out and they're like, sovereign God, we believe that you allowed this arrest to take place so that your name would be made known. And then here's what they pray next. And now, oh Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. This is crazy. Boldness is what got them into this predicament. In my opinion, they're already really, really bold. But they prayed for boldness. And then they prayed for this. They said, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I got to tell you, this verse makes me uncomfortable. Because when I read about them praying for signs and wonders, it seems to me like a television ministry sort of thing. Right? Put your hand on the TV screen right now and just believe, oh, I feel power leaving me and going into you. And, you know, John 3.16 says, so if you send in a gift for $316, we'll send you some anointing. I mean, this is what it sounds like, just ridiculous stuff, right? 
But they prayed this way because they wanted their friends, they wanted their community to know about God. So what if we just prayed our own version of this? What if we prayed, God, give me courage. Give me boldness. Right now, I need boldness to stay the course because I want to walk away right now, God, but I don't sense that's what you want me to do. And so, God, give me the courage to hold on. And the reason it's so difficult to stay and the reason it's so difficult to hold on sometimes is we don't know the payoff. We don't know the implication, right? We don't know what the end result's going to be. Yeah, I think about my parents because over the years, if we were just talking about Christianity and the Christian faith, here's the reality. My parents have seen some of the worst that Christianity has to offer. Their son put aside, right? Because it was seen the worst Christianity has had to offer. They've lived through the television ministry scandals of the 1980s. They lived through the religious right and politics becoming synonymous with Jesus. They lived through craziness of church uh, experiences. They've seen the messy side of church. In fact, the church where I grew up in, uh, my parents have been there for so long, they've actually saw uh, five or six different pastors come and go. Every pastor comes with their own vision, their own unique style. My parents haven't sat there and enjoyed every style of teaching. They haven't enjoyed every style of music. But they stayed the course. And they just said, this is our family. They held on when it would have been easier to let go and say, ah, we're going to go find another church. We're gonna, we, we like that style of music better. We like that style of teaching better. And what they didn't realize at the time is they were laying a foundation for their kids. They were creating stability for their kids to be in a setting where from early on to the time they got older, they were able to develop a faith community. Maybe you need to pray, God, just give me the courage to stay in whatever it is. God, I'm in a miserable marriage. I'm in a miserable family. God, I don't, I, I don't like what we're going through in, in this situation, but God, give me the courage to stay. Or, or maybe the prayer God, give me the courage to hold on to my convictions. Give me the courage to hold on to these values that I have because I'm following you, but it seems like everybody else is having way more fun than me. It seems like they're moving forward, and I'm, I'm just sitting here, and I'm stuck. Give me the courage to hold on. Help me to stay when it would be easier to leave. And who knows what your decision to stay the course in whatever area that may be, who knows what the end result may be. Who knows what the tipping point may become. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we celebrated our 24th anniversary. We talked about the best years of our marriage, and both of us agreed the best years of our marriage have been the last two years. But we also talked about the worst years of our marriage three and four years ago. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that the only way we made it through those difficult years is we just both said, we're going to stay when it's easier to leave. And that became a tipping point in our marriage. You never know. Another practical way that walking into our fears could be a potential tipping point is having the courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend that everything is okay. I cannot think of anything that has more of a negative impact on families and individuals and marriages than to pretend everything's okay when it's not. And it's not because, well, what happens if the secret gets out, but it's because when we hold things back and things are secrets, they affect us and we don't realize it. Things happen in our heart. We start growing bitter or angry. We start becoming indifferent or callous. Things that we don't even realize. And then we bring them into every relationship that we're a part of. And the crazy thing about asking for help is I think most of us would ask for help. Most of us would be open and say, I've got a struggle here. I've got an issue here. Everybody's broken. I don't mind sharing that. But we share 
90% of it. It's that last 10% that we just hold back and like, if they knew this. But King Solomon warns us. He says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So several years ago, I had a uh, friend of mine reach out to me, and they just said, Dave, I'm just going to be straight with you. I've got an addiction. It's overtaken my life. And then they started walking me through this addiction and what was happening. And I said, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's taken over your life. And so now you got to have the courage to get help. And they did. And it's been, you know, eight, nine years. Got a wonderful marriage. He's got a close family. His career is moving forward. But I promise you that would not have happened if he wouldn't have just had the courage to ask for help. So I'm just going to tell you. You're struggling financially? It's courageous to ask for help. Your marriage isn't doing well? It's courageous to ask for help. You're experiencing an increasing amount of temptation in your life? It is courageous to ask for help. And who knows? This isn't a guarantee. This isn't a promise. But you reaching out for help might become the tipping point for something extraordinary in your life. Let me give you just one more example of this. One more example of how we can walk into our fears is having the courage to speak up when it would be easier to stay silent. Now, in 2020, it seems like everybody has the courage to speak up, right? Just go on social media. Everybody has something to say, and they will speak their mind. But I'm not talking about social media, and I'm not even talking about speaking up about public issues. I'm not talking about showing up to protests. I do believe there are times and places for those things. In fact, King Solomon of Israel, he writes very clearly, he says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. So there is an absolute place for public courage. But the courage I'm talking about is actually way more difficult. It's having the courage to look at someone you love and you care about. I'm talking a friend and a family member. I'm talking about the courage to speak up and have an awkward conversation when you see something in their life that's going to shipwreck their life. You see unhealthy patterns of behavior. You see a cycle of addiction or a potential cycle of addiction. You see a family member abusing their power or their influence and they don't even realize it. You see someone going down a dangerous path. And I'm telling you, if you want to know, Dave, where do you struggle in the area of courage? It's having tough conversations. Because I don't want to risk that relationship. And I I don't think of it this way, but basically what I'm saying is... If I had to choose, I would rather them shipwreck their life or their marriage than me have to sit down with them for 30 minutes and have an awkward conversation. I mean, that's really, King Solomon says this. He says, people who wink at wrong, they see wrong, they're like, eh, I see it, but eh. People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof, that's having that awkward conversation. It's sitting down saying, this is what I see. That promotes peace. Nobody wants to do it. I don't want to do it, but the only way we'll ever have a meaningful, deep, and significant relationship with anybody in this life is to walk into our fear and choose to speak up when we see someone going down the wrong path. And obviously that requires a lot of tact and wisdom. You can't just sit down with someone you, you, know, you barely know. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Well, let me sit down. I don't know. You know that's not what we're talking about. In fact, a good equation to remember is truth plus tact plus timing equals transformation. In other words, be strategic about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, and when you're going to say it. But if you choose to be courageous, just know it could become a tipping point in someone's life. So my wife, before she met me, she's in her early 20s. She had met a guy, uh, fallen in love, and was engaged to him. And when she told her parents about the engagement, you would think that as a parent, that's like one of the most exciting things. I'm really excited. And I guarantee you, my father-in-law and mother-in-law wanted to be super excited, but they couldn't be. 
They just felt like she wasn't ready. And so my father-in-law, who's actually a, an author, that's what he does, but he sat down and he wrote Rindy a letter and he says, I don't think you're prepared for marriage. I don't think that this is the right guy for you. I don't think, and just, he had the foresight to say, you're dating a dandelion and I know there's a rose around the corner. Uh, but you know, he had the courage to say to his daughter, hey, I know you're happy and I want to be happy for you, but I see something you don't see. And there's always risk involved. There was a guy who got behind me and was excited when we started Great Lakes Church. And then there was a day where they wanted to start a church and I had to sit down and say, man, I just don't think that leadership is your number one gift and, and I, I, I foresee challenges. And I'm going to tell you, just even that conversation put a riff in our relationship for a while. Felt like, oh, I didn't believe it because tough conversations do that. So life is filled with individuals and events and circumstances that are going to surface fear. It's never going away. It's part of life. And I want to, I want to be clear about this. There are going to be people who teach you or who, 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 who want to teach and, and want you to believe that once you follow Jesus, if you do everything right, your life's going to be pain-free and problem-free and stress-free and fear-free. That is not true. So anyone who looks at you and says, well, if you do these three things, you can experience this kind of outcome, right? Like if you pray this prayer, and if you touch the cross, and if you memorize these verses, man, I guarantee God's going to bless you, he's going to protect you, and he's going to give you a charm life. That is just not true. Guys, right now, this is no joke. You could go on Amazon, and if you want to sell your house, like you're afraid, I'm not going to sell my house, oh, I'm going to lose money, you can buy this St. Joseph the Carpenter figurine. $6.29, Right? Here's what happens. They send it to you and they give you instructions and they basically say, you need to bury St. Joseph uh, upside down facing the house. And the reason you bury him upside down is you want him to be comfortable so he's really motivated to sell your house for a good profit and make it happen quickly. That is not called following Jesus. That is called magic. And Jesus did not come to be a magician and to magically make every problem and fear disappear. But he did promise that God is with us in everything we go through. And so my hope is that every time you face and I face something that surfaces insecurity in our lives, that our lives would echo the words written by King David almost 3,000 years ago in a playlist that we call the Psalms. Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus, this challenge is for you. When you want to quit and you want to give up on something significant, be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. When you want to pretend that everything's okay and it's very difficult to ask for help, be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. When you want to stay silent on an issue and you see somebody going down a wrong path and your words could redirect them and help them, be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. So what fear do you need to walk into? What has the potential to be a tipping point in your life or the life of people you love? What would happen if you just had the courage to confront it? We don't know. That's the unknown. That's the uncertainty. But whatever it is, that's your giant. You're not David, but you still have a giant. You're not Moses, but you still have a Red Sea. You're not Daniel, but that's your lion's den, right? You're not Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, but that's your fiery furnace. So let's pray and let's ask God for courage. Our Heavenly Father... I pray in all, all, for all of us in our unique ways, in our unique situations, in our unique settings. Give us the wisdom to identify what fear has controlled our life and is keeping us from your plan for our life. That's holding us back. That's, that's keeping us from whatever it is 
that you have in front of us. Give us the wisdom to identify it and the courage to walk into that fear. In Jesus' name, amen.